0: searching for Canada's best startups the pitch please podcast hosted by Mike Thibodeau give us your best pitch pitch please three two one Connecting with Canada's startups to learn about their business and the amazing people behind them. Follow along and hear some of the most interesting ideas and in startups from across Canada. Welcome back, everybody, to the Pitch Please podcast. This is Mike here again, and today we've got Diraj from Learn It on the show. Welcome to the show, Diraj.
1: Thanks, thanks, Mike. Pleasure to be here.
0: Diraj, the best place to probably start. I'm curious. I want to little, learn a little bit more about you. Maybe give us a little bit of your background and your role at Learn It and everything that sort of brought you to this moment today.
1: Absolutely. no, happy to do that. So I spent most of my life growing up in Uganda, a small country in West Africa. And so I remember when I was growing up, I had a very different high school as compared to a North American high school. We would spend a lot of time outdoors, lot of time playing football. And then I remember I spent my whole life going there. So culturally, I'm very connected to Africa. One of the days I remember my mom, well, at the time I was a kid, so she forcefully took me to the orphanage because she wanted me to do good deeds. And at the time I was a kid, so I was like, no, I want to play football. I don't want to go to the orphanage. But I went there regardless, uh, maybe mom pressure, but also my, my love for her took me there. And I think, you know, when I went there, first thing I noticed was that the smallest things to those people were so valuable, right? I would go there and take juice and they would act as if they got a pot of gold, right? And so when I was very young, I think at that point, I realized that what I had was really good, right? It wasn't something that everybody had. I really wanted to help these kids even more because I saw that they, they were so excited by my presence and they really wanted more. And so the next time I went there, I actually taught them about computers. And that was my first taste of teaching. I'd never done it before. I was not a smart student in high school. I was an average student. And I, you know, I I decided to teach them about computers because they kept asking me because at that time, computers are new. They didn't know what they were, but they heard a lot of cool things about it. So I, I taught it to them. And that was my first time I ever taught. And at that time, I didn't know how much I loved it. But I guess there was a reason why I kept going back there every single week. Sometimes every single month to teach them another topic and another topic and another topic. So fast forward, I came to Canada in 2018. I studied at UBC and I did my degree in finance. And in my second year, so my first ever paid job in Canada, I would say, was to teach people again. So it's kind of like full circle. It it always kept coming back to me. And so I I was what they call a peer-assisted study session leader. So I would teach students in their first years, and usually the most challenging courses that first year students take, so like math and statistics, and I would essentially host weekly sessions for them. And I spent a lot of my time at UBC doing that, and slowly just kept getting more and more into teaching and education. And I found myself doing a lot of tutoring, and I never promoted myself because I never, honestly, I never had to because people always kept coming. People were like, oh, I heard from this person, I heard from this person, can you help me? And I always wanted to help because I loved feeling of helping people. And so naturally I transitioned more into the education space. And that's when Learn It started. I started trying to help more and more students in more ways and in ways that I understood that they needed help. At Learnit my role is founderslash CEO and I spend tell my I tell people on my team like I think my job is just to make sure you're happy. That's all that's my full-time job. I, I make sure my team is happy. I make sure that everyone's doing what they really want to do and that we are driving towards a positive direction and actually doing impactful work while also helping students in in university, because I think they're often ignored, but a lot of companies focus on high schools.
0: Servant leadership. I want to go back to some of those experiences you were talking about. So before you came to Canada, you said you were teaching and you were mostly teaching with technology. Were there any specific courses that you were teaching? And tell me more about like how that experience maybe shaped your love for teaching, or maybe you loved teaching before that, but do you think there was like some pivotal moments there? that that shaped your love for teaching because you're super passionate about it so i want to understand that a little bit more
1: i think so so my so when i was teaching them about like technology right when i was teaching about computers my first topic was about hardware because there was something physically took my pc and i was like here is what a computer looks like and let me tell you how it works so i used it's hard to explain to someone who has no context about technology right so the first thing that I loved about it was that I had to think of a way to teach someone something that they had no clue about. And I loved having to think about that. And so I thought about body parts and cooking and I used a lot of metaphors metaphors to explain to them how a computer works. So for example, I would say like, okay, your RAM, your room, for example, is your fridge. And then you ha- when you're cooking, you have to take certain vegetables out. So that's your RAM because you can only order a certain memory. And then you get your chopping board and your knife. And so you chop it up and your motherboard is your knife, and then you cook it in your pan and so on. So I use a lot of references like that. And so firstly, I loved doing that. I really enjoyed trying to take something that was so complicated, make it seem so easy and explain to someone in a way that they really understand it. And the second thing I really love about teaching is that I always found that those students had the most interesting questions despite having the least context. And I found that very interesting. They would ask me more questions questions about, okay, so how is a computer going to change the world? Versus someone who might have more context is going to ask me, so can you tell me more about this 8GB versus 16GB or 4-core versus 16-core? The most specific question, but I really like the fact that every student would have a very different range of questions, right? And the fact that someone believes what you're saying and trusts in your knowledge to answer those questions I felt like that was something that I had to value a lot. And I think it goes very undervalued, especially teachers in high schools and universities. People ask them so many questions every single day and we depend on their knowledge to shape our understanding of things. And I think that I just wanted to make sure that when I had that responsibility, I I was doing it faithfully and I was doing it to a way that was respectful to the other person. I was making sure that I was providing them and I was sharing my knowledge in a way that would empower them because it seemed like every time I shared something, they got more excited by it. So every word, every explanation I gave had a lot of impact when it came to learning. And I really enjoyed that aspect of it. Do you
0: think that fueled your love for teaching? Like I, I see a couple of things that you're talking about, part of it being the need to simplify things that may vary different or challenging or abstract to somebody, and you got excited and energized by by the challenge of trying to simplify it. The challenge of simplifying complex problems became something that you were attached to. Simultaneously, you talk about the aspects of genuine curiosity and bigger questions. Do you think that you still would have been as in love with the concepts of teaching and you would have developed a similar style of teaching if the students hadn't been as curious and hadn't had these larger, bigger, abstract questions and got super focused on things like you were saying, like RAM and the details? Mm -hmm. Or do you think that the abstractness of the questions and the complexity of the teaching is something that sort of brought you
1: further down into
0: shaping your own style?
1: I think the first thing I'd like to say is that the greatness of a teacher is defined by the students, not by the teacher. And I think this, if you have a group of students who will never ask questions, you might be the best teacher, but you'll never get there. And if you have students who will always ask you questions, you will become, you could be an average teacher, but you will become the best teacher. And I think for me, I always try to encourage students or try and shape them in a way that made it okay to ask questions. And I think that was the first step that it is good to ask questions, that we are co-learning. We're both learning from each other. And I think that it's very obvious to say that a teacher is always learning too. And everyone says that, but it's about how do you actually see that happen in real life, right? Like you don't see a teacher sit down with the students and say, okay, let's learn together, right? That doesn't, It doesn't work like that, right? So I think first thing I'd like to say, it's a student's curiosity that shapes the greatness of a teacher. And the second thing for me, I think you need both. You need really specific questions because that validates your, your knowledge in that topic, right? I think the higher level questions, it sometimes becomes more opinion-based or sometimes becomes more objective. And I think the, the, there's two sides to it, right? There's one that's the defined knowledge, which is this is the answer and that's how we've been taught it. it's the answer. And that comes from more specific questions. And there's more like opinion-based answer, which comes from higher level questions. So I think a combination of both is what helps a really good teacher help their students as well and helps their students stay curious, helps their students ask more questions. And if you usually see, even in a lot of business professions and consulting in a lot of business professions, it's so driven by asking questions, right? You will never, you always, you spend, if you have a one hour meeting with a client, you'll spend 15 minutes asking questions and 10 minutes getting to the solution, right? So that's 15 minutes of asking the questions is what really shapes your own understanding of the topic. I can recall, so many times when a student asks me a question and i understand it while i'm explaining the answer to them so i have no clue what i'm saying but as i'm explaining it to them I'm like, okay this makes so much sense like so i think it's that one the 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 comfort to take a question that you have no answer to and just figure it out together but two, also have a combination of those high level and specific questions to shape to shape your greatness as a teacher and to project that to your students That's a great perspective.
0: Sometimes people always assume that people have all of the answers, but the idea is sometimes you can work through it together and it's the approach to solving a problem that is sometimes most important. And I think you'll teach them those aspects to an approach to solving a problem when you do it together. Now, talk to me about entrepreneurship. Did you ever imagine you would become an entrepreneur? Was that something that you thought about at a younger age during any of this teaching? Or did this sort of happen by chance?
1: I think it's a little bit of both, but here's why, right? I, when I first started teaching, I had no idea this would become a business. This, I did it because I liked it. That's it. Purely because I liked it and I liked helping students. That's it. That was my only reason to do it. And still is to some extent. The entrepreneurship, I think, I always knew I wanted to do it, but I didn't know when. And I think if I go back, like one mistake, maybe I've made is I didn't fidget earlier on. I wish I fidgeted really earlier on, but I fidgeted late on and that, you know, my my dad's an entrepreneur and I always looked at him and he inspires me a lot because he came to Uganda, he bought a family there, but when he came alone, he came with, I think it was $200 in his pocket and he built something amazing. And when I look at that, and even if I compound that $200 in 19 whatever to today, Maybe I even give you 20 grand, right? There'll be very, very few people that can make something huge out of 20 grand, right? And so for me, it's that one, there should never be an excuse that I don't have enough of this or enough of that. I don't have this resource. I think you should never have an excuse to build something great. And I always looked at my dad and I was like, I would love to have a license like him. But I never thought that. One thing I think I'm grateful for was that my dad always told me that I have built this. It's not you haven't built this, right? I think a lot of the times when you have a family of entrepreneurship, usually flows down, right? Like, okay, your dad and then your son takes over and then their son takes over the business. But for my dad, he was like, you're going to go to Canada. You're going to build your own thing because this is not your thing. This is my thing, right? And then we'll figure it out together. So I think my dad always pushed me towards taking more risks towards entrepreneurship. I just wish I did it a little bit earlier.
0: I love how your experiences to where you are today, you've been inspired around becoming an entrepreneur with a role model around entrepreneurship from not much from your father. And then you've had these experiences of humility and understanding others shaped by things that you did with your mother. And together you've sort of merged those two things where now you're an entrepreneur in the space of learning and teaching. And so it's really cool to see how that's come to fruition. Maybe I, let's talk a little bit about actually Learn it. And so to do that, I'd
1: love to start with a pitch. So Diraj, your pitch, please. Absolutely. So LearnIt is an e-learning platform that's focused on providing personalized experiences for university level courses. And we do that in three key ways. The first way in which we do that is we take into consideration a student's learning style and incorporating that into our matching method with our student tutors. The second way in which we are able to reach that is that we provide a lot of videos and resources for students in those specific courses. So we stray away from providing the answer, but we focus more on the approach. So if you watch our videos, 90% of the video is the approach and the 10% is the answer. Versus if you go to other platforms, you might see that here's the answer. Thanks for the question. Here's the answer. Thanks for the question. So we focus a lot on the approach, less on the answer. And the last thing that we do that we love a lot is learn it global, where we try and impact more international areas rather than focusing in Canada. So doing some work in Africa and doing some work in India to create impact and to genuinely help students gain knowledge that they wouldn't have the opportunity to gain with their environment and their surroundings. So... Learn it, I think, is a culmination That's a lot of things, but i will say at a high level, our focus is on really understanding student learning styles, matching them with tutors and student tutors who can adapt to those styles and provide them with experiences and relationships that would help them in their most challenging courses in university. How did you get started? So I know you were teaching at
0: UBC. You were doing like a, I forget the exact term you used, but like a learning yeah. assist type role. Yeah and you kind of wanted to be an entrepreneur. So what was the tipping point? How did this really start? Did it start out of you just got so consumed teaching people that you're like, I need to scale and replicate myself? Or was there something else that sort of tipped the boat for you?
1: I think the biggest thing for me is it started by mistake. I did not start it like, okay, here's a company and here's how it's going to work. It started, as you said, because it got to a point where I had too many students and I had this urge that I really wanted to help everybody. And so I got one more tutor with me, just two of us. And that's how it started. And I was like, okay, I'll, I'll keep matching with students because I keep getting the students, but I will train you and I'll help you understand how to teach students because that's something that's very challenging. And so I, as you said, I wanted to replicate hundred more duets. And I wanted all those duets to be teaching. And so I started it because it was an overwhelming number of students. And I remember I always wanted to do something my first year, second year. And I did have a startup with a really good friend of mine in my second year. That was really fun, but it didn't work out at the end, but it was a fun experience. And so when this one came along, I love the fact that it came naturally. I didn't have to make a business model canvas and a whiteboard and try and figure out what my business is. I love that I had something already and I had to put that into a canvas and I had to create a business out of that. So that's how it initially started. And I remember talking to my dad once and I was like, yeah, there's so many students and I have my own exams and it's just getting stressful. And, he's, and the first thing he says is like, so just get, another tutor pay them that's it like and and I was like oh okay yeah that that seems like it would work and so that's how it started going off and then I always I started to grow it and now we are at about 15 people a couple of folks in marketing and about five tutors teaching almost every single course at UBC that you could think of so that's how it initially started that's amazing how
0: where was the shift from a group of mentors and teachers to this platform-based approach. What was sort of the tipping point there?
1: Yeah, I think what happened was that when you think about helping students, right, there's two ways to do it. The first way is the students come to you. And the second way is you go to the students. Now, when the students come to you, the volume is a lot lesser, right? Because students will only come to you when they really need help or when they know about you, right? And the second approach is you create a platform where any student who has no idea about you can find you. Right? No one could find D-Ridge unless someone told them about DRidge, but someone can find LearnIt because LearnIt is a platform that provides the same experiences that DRidge does, that provides the same learning outcomes that DRidge does. So for me, it was like I wanted to be able to scale it. And just having me and getting tutors and doing it the ad hoc was not a scalable way of doing things. And that's when we moved to a more platform based, where we started to, you know, shape the brand of Learn It as focused on the student, focused on their learning style, and focused on helping them succeed in their most challenging courses. And that's the kind of approach that we wanted to take as we continue to scale across UBC. Who's using uh, Learn It's platform today? Yeah, so I think I'll tell almost all our users are our students. And usually we see that they're students in their first and second years because we find that the transition from high school to university is where the first challenge comes because you're completely shifting your learning. So you're completely shifting courses. You have the choice to go to class. And so people love the freedom. You see students feel like, I don't have to go to class. There's no attendance. I could just stay home and I can chill. And so people have these sort of new things that come about when they move first from high school to university. So you find that a lot of our users and students are in the first semester, right out of high school, moving into university. And that's when they they need help Adapting to that style, they need help supporting them, and coupled with that is in the first year, I think there's a bit of pressure to perform well because your first year at university you want to start off well and you want to make your parents proud and so we want to help students do that we really want we, we don't want to have a situation where someone is imagine someone coming out of high school first year at university and you fail the first few courses that's that's mentally very detrimental for your next four years, not just for that one year right and so we never want to have a scenario where people have to have to go through that so early on in their university career, right out of high school, when they're first learning how to do, use a laundry machine, living thousands of kilometers away from their family. The last thing they want to worry about is they have so much emotional things that they're going through that we don't want them to stress about, okay, this course and all the assignments and all of that. We want to help them through that. And so we find that most of our users are in their first and second year and are new to university.
0: So teach me a little bit about this industry, because you're obviously not the first person to be tutoring or being a teaching assistant. And so teach me a little bit about the industry, what it looks like from like platform solutions, finding your own tutor through some job board. What does that look like? And then where does LearnIt start to create a differentiator
1: versus the others in this space? Yeah, I love that question because I spent a lot of time trying to understand what these students were doing. And I remember just to preface that, I would ask some of my students and I genuinely ask them, I'm like, why do you keep coming to me? Why don't you just leave and go to use a cheaper platform or another platform and just find a match? Like our schedules don't match sometimes and why do you wait, right? And so I think that was my epiphany, right? They told me that we wait because you're not just a tutor to us, right? You're like a friend. Like I went to dinner with one of my students and their families and that's not what a tutor usually does. That's what a friend does, right? And so when I looked at a lot of the platforms and these matching platforms that were out there, it was mostly like, "Here is a page. Here's some beautiful pictures of some tutors. Here's all their 90 plus grades. Just pick one, right?" And I was like, "How do I pick one out of ten? I don't know anything about these people, and I, ex- I expect to trust them to for the next one year, for the next six months, to help me succeed." And so I, I realized that every single platform was just replication of it. Some had a better UI experience. Some were some were like call us right now and we'll match you right now, right? But there was nothing where the decision fell upon the students to get to understand the tutor, to make that decision for themselves. And that's where we saw the gap, right? So we wanted to make sure that we're not just matching students with random tutors who are smart, we're actually taking into account who are they, how do they like to learn, how do they like to interact? Do they have a gender preference? Because sometimes they do. Right. And so we, we want to take into account all of those and then do the matching. And that's why we have found that with LearnIt, we have, I would say, almost a 90 percent plus retention rate. I can't even think of two students that we have lost in terms of them switching to other platforms. Right. But as compared to other platforms, they would leave us in the first session, they're out. They're like, I didn't like this. I'm never going back to the platform. For us, it's like after your first session, let's talk. Right? How was that? What could have been better? Did the tutor work? If not, we'll match you with someone else. We'll find someone else that will work. Right. So we never let go of our students very easily because I think it, at our core, we have this genuine urge to help them. It's not just to make money. It's not just that. It's not just about the volume. Right. It's about genuinely helping them in their courses. And that's why we see that really high retention rate with the students.
0: So it sounds like another big piece is. A lot of other platforms focus on getting you matched with one individual primarily based on like their grades. It sounds like what you're doing is a little bit about more fluid matchmaking because you might you spend a lot of time finding the right person, but if they're not right, you can kind of through the platform get to a d- different person that maybe is a better match for your learning style. And then the other piece, it sounds like you're doing, and if this is right, I'd love to explore it more. It sounds like you're doing a lot of work to help articulate the learning or the teaching style of your tutors so that students can look for what maps best to their learning style. And you are it sounds like you're doing that. It, is it manual? Is that something you're doing, actually? Let me just kind of, before we go any further, is that what you are doing, those like kind of aspects of like, more fluid matching and this aspect about learning and teaching styles and trying to create a match on that premise.
1: Yeah, so, so that's, very, that's a very interesting topic. I, lo- I love talking about that because if you ask any student, what's your learning style, I promise you that 90% of them will say visual, okay? And here's why, because most of the courses we do are math and quantitative. So they're like, every student will say the same thing, right? They want to see examples and they, wanna, and they want to, you know, oh, well, let's do an example together. That, that, that's what everyone's going to say. Where the uniqueness comes is how do you want the session to go, right? So everyone wants to do the same thing, but how do you want to do it is what's different. So I don't, you can categorize that as a learning style if you wanted to, but for example, I'll give you an example just so you can visualize it a little bit, right? Some of our students love to do the example twice. They will do it once together and then they will do it alone while we watch them, right? And And we try and validate their understanding. So for a student like that, you can't have a tutor that will keep interrupt. that tutors that love talking and that love always interrupting as soon as you go wrong. You need a tutor that's very patient, that will wait, that will ask the right question, right? To, to help them identify their own path to the solution rather than interrupting and be like, no, do it like this. Versus some students were like, we'll just do it once. You tell me how to do it, right? But we'll do the example, but you tell me how to do it. And you walk me through it. And for that kind of student, You can't have a tutor that will keep asking the student a question, how do you think to do it? Like, do you think this is the right approach? Because the student will get annoyed and that's not right for their learning style. So you need someone who will be like, okay, let's work through this together. Here's how you do it. Here's why it's like this. And here's how we get to the solution. So do you see what I'm saying? They both want to solve the same question, but one of them wants to do it a bit more differently than the other person. And because they want to do it differently, the tutors need to be different to be able to adapt to the way that they want to do that example. And in terms of how we kind of, it seems so hard to incorporate into actually the matching process. That's where the challenge comes to. But the way that we do that to some extent is that we allow the student to get to know the tutor a little bit more. Because when you interact with someone, when you even, like if someone teaches you for even five, ten minutes, if you even watch a video of someone teaching you, you can understand, can I learn with this person? Right? If I watch this video, am I engaged? Can I learn? Do I enjoy learning? So we try and incorporate really short form videos like that. We try to incorporate a lot of introductions where a student really has the opportunity to get to know the tutor. Because even in a 10, 15 minute conversation, I guarantee you that 99% of students will know right then if that tutor is going to be right for them or not. It's interesting. You're talking
0: effectively about unconscious learning or teaching habits that you're trying to get to. Because to your point, if you ask most people, they say, I'm a visual learner. No one's gonna say, hey, I like to do the question twice. Like they just they don't get to that level. So as you go through this, how are you identifying those needs? So it sounds like you're creating the collisions between tutors and students. But is there anything that you're doing specifically or thinking about doing over time that's helping better categorize these types of subconscious learning styles to create matches more effectively and
1: efficiently. Yeah, I I would love to do that, but we aren't doing that right now. And the reason that we aren't doing that is that almost like it's hard to to bucket these, right? It's really challenging to be like, here's 10 students that like to do it this way because it's so specific, right? So we we try and do it to some extent more, like not formally, but more like, I I know that tutor teaches like that, and I know that student is similar to this student. So yeah, we can, they will get along well, right? So there's sort of unconscious matching that goes on, but it's really challenging to create a formalized way of saying, are you with this type of learner? Because it's so vague. And it's when you get to the specifics that you really identify the differences. So for us, that's something that we haven't explored yet, but it's something that We also notice that except that every single student that comes our way at its core is going to be very different. At its core, they're going to have, even in the smallest ways, things that annoy them and things that they love, right? And so we have to identify those. And those, to some extent, can only come after you've interacted with the student and not before that. And maybe a bit where the challenge is too, right? Because you need to have that initial interaction to understand the student's learning style rather than just being like, are you a visual learner? Okay, here you go. Here you are with 150 other students that are visual learners. Good luck, you know? So it's a little bit more challenging in that sense, but we haven't explored a a more, as you say, like kind of grouping or any sort of thing like that.
0: So how does it work? Do the teachers or the tutors and the students meet in person and just find a match on your platform? Or do they actually connect through the platform in some way Mm -hmm. where like, transactions happen, payment, the actual teaching and whiteboarding? Where and how does that work?
1: Yeah, great question. So so to help you visualize it, if people come to our platform and on our platform, we don't like explicitly share a large amount of detail about our tutors. We literally just have their picture and their name. So what the student has to do is just talk to us for 10 minutes, right? That's the first interaction the student has with us. So they talk to either like, me or... Like a or... bit of
0: like an intake process, I guess? You exactly.
1: Like a, yeah, like an intake right. process. Like, okay, who are you, right? Like, can I, can I talk to you for 10 minutes? Because if I talk to you for 10 minutes, I'll immediately know, even through a, a very simple interaction, how, who, which tutor would you get along with right away, right? So we don't want to go on our platform and write like one paragraph, two paragraph about our tutors because no one's going to read that, right? So we have that initial interaction with the student, 10, 15 minutes. And that's done by me or someone else who's not going to teach that student. So we don't have the tutor do the first interaction with the student. It's mostly just someone else who does that first interaction, who understands just the, has the understanding that student might be matched with a multitude of different tutors. And so we have that initial interaction. We talk to them and some of the things that we talk to them about is, who is your favorite professor? right? Because we know all the professors at UBC. And that helps us a lot because the answer to that will tell us how they like to learn right because usually your best professor is not the one who looks the best it's the one who you enjoy learning with the most right so we ask them who is your favorite professor at ubc and immediately we understand okay that's their favorite professor this is how they teach because we have all done those courses so we know how they teach and therefore we also know that who, which one of our tutors teaches similar to them because we have trained our tutors we know how they teach and they're all very different so that's the first interaction the second interaction we have is we get their preferences. So some students actually have preferences in terms of, I don't want to learn from another second year because it, it will hurt me, right? Because I'm in my second year. I don't want to learn from another second year because it will feel too young. I want to learn from a fourth year or a fifth year or new or a graduate, right? So some, Versus some, they're like, it doesn't matter to me. You give me a first year, you give me a second year. I don't, have a, I don't have a preference. So we get those preferences. Even gender preferences are prevalent. Do you want to learn from a male? Do you want to learn from a female? and you know other, but they, they, we have to understand their preferences because we have to make sure we're respectful of that. And so we get all of that, we make our decision, and usually it's just and immediately after that whole process, we'll see that there's only one tutor that's a perfect match for them. It's never gonna be like, oh, I'm confused between these three. It somehow just becomes one. And so what we do is we then match the student with that tutor through our platform, and we say, here's the tutor that we think will help you the most, will help you succeed in the best possible way, and have your first session and we'll chat after that. So we never ask them to pay before their first session because we want them to tell us that there was value in it, right? So we set them up, they have their first session either in-person or virtual, whatever the student wants, right? and we talk to them right after the session, maybe like a few hours whenever the schedule's aligned. So we talk to them and we say, how was that? Was it helpful to you, right? And, and almost all the time, everyone is flowing with positivity. That was such a helpful session. I really liked the tutor. They were so nice, right? And they really understood me. And we know that, we know that before we're setting them up, but we need to get that validation to make sure that we're doing it the right way. And so after that, that's when it becomes more consistent and then we we'll leave it to the student and tutor to set up their own sessions to do it. And because we have such a tight-knit community, our tutors come to us and they're like, here's how many hours I did, here's how it worked. And the student directly interacts with LearnIt as a platform. And in terms of their payments or in terms of if they need resources and those sort of things. And then for their own tutoring, personal tutoring, they'll just interact directly with the tutor. They don't have to go to the website every time to book another session with the same tutor. You can just text the tutor and be like, hey, when are you free? So it's more, hopefully that provides more of a visual explanation of how the whole matching and how the whole process works.
0: Yeah, it totally does. So how do, how does LearnIt make money? And I assume you charge the student that gets brokered through the platform, but maybe it's something different. Walk me through that a little bit. And when you're going through it, the thing that just jumped out in what you said that I'm sure is on a lot of people's minds if they're listening is how do you make sure that the student and the tutor don't leave yeah. learn it and just continue to do these things outside of the platform now that I found my perfect match of teaching style.
1: Mike, I thought about that so much when I first started and I would always ask myself, every tutor is going to leave and they're all going to go with their students because it's like, as you said, the brokerage. Right? So we take a certain cut, right? And the student pays us, we pay the tutor, right? We found that no one left, no one. And here's why, because we were very transparent. We told the tutor, here's how much you're charging the student. Here's how much you're going to get. If you're not okay with that, then you can leave. And the good thing is that that initial interaction, that's why it's never done by the tutor. It's always done by someone at, like at, as learned as an organization because a student thinks of Learnit, not about Mike, the tutor, right? That first interaction is Learn it. So we found that one having transparency and like just being very transparent with how much we're charging and we're not ripping people off really helped our tutors be like, okay, that's fair, I understand that. And we help our tutors get more students and they stay with us because if they go off with that one student, I'll give them all my blessings and I'll say, go ahead, as long as you can help them and you don't want to come back, it's fine, but they're not going to get any more students, right? That's it. It's just one. And so you, they need to understand that they also want more students. After that one semester, what are they going to do? They're going to come back to us, right? So yeah, the
0: demand, the fact that learn it drives the demand. And yeah. The fact that
1: you can't be a
0: tutor to just one individual and make that work most likely, it keeps them coming back. Because if you were to burn that bridge, then you just that you'll have that one path. But especially because students run through courses, graduate out over time, there needs to be a constant flow of demand. That's pretty cool. And so the students pay learn it, learn it pays the tutors. What percentage of your of your
1: tutoring do
0: you think happens virtually versus in person?
1: That's an interesting question. I'd say actually this year we're seeing a lot more in person than we did last year. So when COVID first finished, I like to say finished, and COVID was over, and universities started going in person, people were still learning virtual. There's a tendency that oh they liked it, they just liked being home and learning. Now I think a year later, people are like no, I really want in person sessions. I can't like yeah. I want to meet the tutor. I wanna, sometimes I wanna go over by five minutes. I don't wanna hop to another Zoom call. I wanna talk to them, I wanna sit with them. When I'm leaving the session, I wanna walk with them to grab coffee on the way. So there's such small things and we find that those in-person sessions actually help build a more meaningful relationship that we actually encourage it. And we say, okay, you've been learning online for a while. Our tutor's at UBC, you're at UBC, just try an in-person session. And most of the time they actually like it more. So we're seeing more and more in-person sessions come up as compared to before. And we actually enjoy that more because it allows our students to have a build a better relationship with their tutor, and to some extent, it's also better for their learning because if they're learning in person, they also want to get tutored in person, there's a better alignment, rather than learning online, there's distractions. If you ask a student, some students have this sort of nervousness that they always have to be right. If a tutor asks a student a question, the tutor knows that it's fine if they're wrong because that's what they're there for, they need help. But some students will always be like, oh no, I can't be, I can't show that I'm wrong, or I can't show that I am wrong or i can not show i do not know. So they'll Google it, right? But so when you're in person, it's a lot more it's a lot more honesty, there's a lot more transparency, okay. you don't know let's figure it out together, and that's those sort of vulnerable moments are what builds a strong relationship.
0: That's amazing. You've mentioned UBC a few times. Where is Learn it in its journey of building the startup? Are you Canada-wide mostly at UBC today? Um, yeah, maybe maybe where you're
1: at what stage? Yeah, no, great question. So we're actually right now only at UBC, but this summer we're moving towards other universities across Canada and replicating a similar model. So currently we are focused on UBC. And the reason that we do that is because our platform, the videos, the tutors, they're always going to be university specific. So if someone wants a tutor, that tutor has done the same course as them with most likely the same professor and has done well, right? So, It's so specific, so I won't match a UBC student with a McGill tutor because they don't understand the professor. They don't understand, does the professor usually have an easy exam or hard exam? They don't know the answers to those questions. Does the professor usually ask about this chapter in the exam? They don't know that, but someone who has done the course will know that better. So that's why it's a bit, it takes a little bit longer, but I think now that we've got comfortable with our model, we're starting to move across different universities over the summer, and we'll start offering similar services to SFU, which is another university closer to UBC, and to University of Toronto, most likely. And that will start in September of 2023.
0: That's awesome. Do you see, I'm I'm curious now that most of the startups that I'm talking to, and there's always the use it, build it, break it is sort of the concept that I talk about, which is how do you implement it to accelerate your business and the work you do as an entrepreneur? Are there ways to integrate it into things you're already doing or the service you already offer and then break it, which is build out completely different disruptive business models? Are you using AI today in any aspects of LearnIt? And if not, where do you see yourself using it, either yourself to be more efficient or within the platform itself?
1: Yeah, so right now we're not using it actively, but we have thought about it a lot. And the reason we have is because there's, there's in the last six months, as everyone knows, there's a strong sort of surge in this AI and everyone's sort of throwing it into their business and everyone putting it in there, right? It's fine, but we're actually seeing in the education space, a lot of companies are throwing in like GPT into their platforms, are throwing in some sort of AI model where they focus more on just spitting out the answer. So the reason that we are a bit hesitant to integrate AI in, into our education system and learn its education sort of story is because In doing that, we'll shift our focus towards, here's the answer, right? Here you go. Take the answer, right? Here's your question. Here's the answer. Thank you. right? And we don't want to do that. We don't want to go to that final. So we want to focus more on the understanding. So I think we're trying to explore ways in which we can focus less on the, here's the solution and more on the process, like applying AI, but in education, focus more on the process of getting to the answer rather than just the answer itself. It's something we've definitely thought of and and hopefully we'll get to try something, try and prototype something with a small group of students. But we are working with another company in the States and we're great partners and they use AI very heavily, but the way that they use it is they help students build study planners. So what they do is that we work with them and we work with our own students and integrate a lot of their platform. And essentially a student, just to imagine it, you have a syllabus that your professor provides, you hit upload, It uses a natural language processing to just pick out the topics. After it's done its natural language processing, it it actually uses an algorithm to kind of create a sort of video playlist for you. And it takes videos from different sources, so from YouTube, from TikTok, from LearnIt itself. And so it uses that sort of algorithm to create a place of videos. And the algorithm is based on a multitude of factors, such as the views, the likes, the comments. Is it useful? Is it not? And it helps you sort of build out that video playlist or your own courses.
0: As you were saying that, it almost just struck me another amazing opportunity to maybe leverage AI. Earlier in the show, we were talking about this concept that I think you've tapped into in a unique way, but you're mostly doing it manually today, which is the, the subconscious learning preferences. And it's harder to cluster or categorize them but I think an interesting thing is if you had recordings from your video calls or recordings from the in-person tutoring sessions on aggregate you may actually be able to call out some interesting trends and then find ways um, after any one session to actually start to cluster a students learning style with these new identifiers that only you have found and these learning styles with these new identifiers or teaching styles as well. It's interesting. Like as you were talking about the use cases <laughs> and not wanting to jump to the answers, I instantly went to, well, there's this aspect that Daraj was talking about, which was there's this thing that people don't even know that they like yet. Would come out when you talk to people or when you transcribe the way that they're learning and you can probably cluster it. So it might be an interesting thing to keep in your roadmap over time. But talking about your roadmap, what sort of the next six to 12 months look like um, look like for LearnIt? And if people are looking to find out a bit more, where should they be going to find out more or maybe sign up for LearnIt?
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. So I'll answer the first question. In terms of the next six to 12 months, as I said, we're trying to focus on replicating a lot of what we're doing in different universities because we're seeing that more and more students are looking for help and are looking for more in-person help. So we want to try and get more tutors in different universities and try and replicate a model across Canada and possibly even in the States, depending on where the market takes us. And so that's really what we're we're honing in on in the next 6 or 12 months. At our core, we still hope to focus on this idea of personalized. We don't want to get to a point where we're just matching people randomly and just, just going haywire with it. So we want to still keep that at our core, find a more scalable way to do that, a more faster way to do that. And I think that's what's going to be our focus for the next six to 12 months, to crack that and to replicate that across different universities. And in terms of where people can find more, well, our website is learn-it.online or they can also look at our Instagram. It's at learn underscore UBC. So they can definitely find more there. They can book a session through either of those kind of streams and they could also definitely reach out to us and just to learn more, chat about their learning needs, Sometimes you ask students that just want to talk, and they're like, "I hate this course," and we're like, "We hate it too, and we know it sucks." And that's it; they don't want to get tutored, but you know, they just want to talk to someone who understands them. And so, if you want to do that, you're more than welcome to We're here to help. We're here to listen to you. We're here to help you in every way. And sometimes you ask students they're like, "I only have one question. I promise I don't need a session." We're we'll like, "Yeah, tell us what's your question. Here it is. Okay, here's how you do it, and let's do it together. Let's hop on a call. Ten minutes. We'll do it. We, you don't have to pay us for ten minutes. We'll do it together, right?" I think we we try and build a very positive relationship. We try and help people as much as we can succeed in their classes in the the most unique ways possible. But folks that are listening can definitely learn more about us. Reach out to us to learn more, and we're happy to share our experiences. That's amazing.
0: You're super purpose-driven, and I love it. The passion just shines through. So it sounds like your next 12 months is really about scaling. What was I guess you were a little bit past MVP, you've got paying customers, but you were sort of in an isolated market. And Now you're going to expand Canada-wide, maybe U.S. over the next 12 months and really try to figure out, how to crack the code on, um, you know, supporting a higher volume of tutors and learners together. If there's people listening that are interested in helping learn it in any way, I don't know what your major call to actions would be or what type of help you would be looking for. But have you thought about what those things would be for the next six to 12 months that could help you accelerate?
1: Yeah. So I think from two perspectives, one, we are actively kind of talk into folks to help us in our expansion, either financially or through a a stronger network. We haven't been to the States or we haven't looked at that market yet. So if there's investors who are looking for early stage companies, we're definitely open to that. And we're looking for very early stage investments to help us make those expansions and replications of models. And in terms of students that are listening, I think if you want to help us, reach out to us and we can talk and we'll definitely be happy to help you through your courses, Share, share about us if you like what we do. And also, if you want to get involved, you can definitely reach out to us. We're happy to, we do a lot of work internationally with Learn It Global. You want to maybe make an impact. You want to impact students across the globe. Reach out to us. We'll help you make that impact, right? So I know a lot of people want to make impact. They just don't know how. Reach out to us. We'll make that process easier for you. We'll help you. You want to get a taste of what teaching looks like? Reach out to us. We'll give you a shot at it. And if you like it, then you never know. You can be our next tutor.
0: That's amazing. Before we close out, there's something you just said, which I know we didn't get to go into maybe today, but tell me a little bit about Learn It Global.
1: Yeah. So Learn It Global is kind of a nonprofit side to what we do. So we work with schools in Africa and India and other communities that don't usually have access to, to like a lot of education or a lot of a strong education system. So it's usually in smaller remote villages or remote places. And so what we do really depends on what the students need the most. Right, So for example, if we are doing some work in Ghana, they need more menstrual education. So we'll work with another nonprofit who has more subject matter expertise in that topic because we don't. But if that's what they need, then we'll help them with that in, in the best way that we can Let's learn it. And if there's another school, maybe in India, that needs more entrepreneurship education, we'll work with maybe another nonprofit that has more subject matter expertise and help them learn it in terms of helping them understand those things. So we just try and help out as much as we can. And I think there's another thing that we're looking at right now is in a lot of remote villages in Africa. It's actually like people don't even have a roof over their heads. People don't even have desks to write on. People don't even have books to use. So the most simple things to us that we think are like we just go to Muji and buy a book. People don't have that. People don't even have a roof. People have to stop learning when it rains. Like imagine that. Like If you live in Vancouver, you'd never be learning if it's raining all the time, right? So I think it's that First, you build a fundamental, the environment to learn. And then second, you actually help them learn in the best way that you can. So that's what Learn It Global is all about.
0: I love it. We might have to do a whole other episode just on that. But I love how you are building a social enterprise right alongside, based on the exact same core principles, which is helping others learn and excel. So diraj. Thank you so much for joining us today, everyone. I hope you really enjoyed the story and background on Learn It and the amazing work they're doing. Any closing thoughts on your end before we wrap up?
1: Yeah, no, thanks, thanks a lot for having me, Michael. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. I really love, love sharing about education and all those sort of things. And I would say that if you're a student, you're a learner, help people around you. Friends need help, help them too. And I promise the feeling of being able to help someone I think is beyond anything else. So make sure to help people every time you see that you can have help and add value. And just remember that sometimes if you're not doing well, in of course, it might not be you, it might just be the course. Don't be too hard on yourself. Thanks for having me, Mike. Always a pleasure to talk to you. I, I
0: love the passion. I love the passion. Thank you so much again, Diraj. everybody who tuned in. Thank you again and catch you on the next episode. You've been listening to the Pitch, Please podcast. Pitch, please. Pitch, please. (laughs) Hosted by Mike Thibodeau. Tune in for regular episodes and show notes at pitchplease.ca. And make sure to give us a follow on your favorite podcast platform. Pitch Please, a Bloomex podcast, is hosted by Michael Thibodeau and does not constitute a recommendation for any organization, product, or service. For more Pitch Please content subscribe where you get your podcasts and visit bloomex.io
1: to join us on Discord.